Welcome to the Power for All podcast, a forum for leaders working to end energy poverty. I'm your host today, Ashna Agarwal, the Partnerships and Development Manager at Power for All. In commemoration of International Women's Month, we have with us Jenny Green, an expert in energy access, including technologies, financing, business models, capacity building, and enterprise development. Jenny has considerable experience with public-private partnership models, innovating financing schemes, virtual learning, and social inclusion. She has worked in research projects as well as program implementation, and she co-founded a social enterprise. She has degrees from Brown University and Columbia University, speaks French and Arabic, and lives in Nashville, Tennessee. Welcome, Jenny, and thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. Yes, of course. We have reports out there that uh, spotlight the lack of gender diversity in the renewable energy sector. Do you personally envisage things will ever change for the better in this sector? Thanks, Ashna. Great to be with you today. So one thing that I've been thinking about recently in the renewable sector is it. I've noticed an evolution. I think initially... Uh, it was something that was seen as being very socially relevant, environmentally friendly, and and I think these things were a big draw for diverse types of people in the early days of the sector. And then the larger it grows, the more cost competitive it becomes. And by the way, I'm I'm a fan. This needs to happen absolutely to save us from the climate apocalypse. But at the same time, there's more money to be made, and um, the renewable sector has started to adopt some of the, the cultural conventions of, of the conventional energy sector, you know, of the 20th century and, and attract, you know, people who previously might have worked in conventional energy. So, you know, in other sectors, like, for example, in the United States, we see this with, um, you know, elementary school teaching and with nursing. Uh, when women enter the profession in large numbers, we see wages fall, and then that can deter men from joining, and it sort of sets up this vicious cycle. So one thing that I've been thinking about and pondering is whether um, high-paying jobs, you know, people always tout, you know, good, green, high-paying jobs, whether we don't see some of the same dynamic set up, but in reverse, um, you know, potentially there's certain groups who are, you know, jockeying to keep others out and secure um, these, these jobs for themselves. So all of this to say is that as the renewable sector matures, I don't think it'll naturally or or organically evolve towards ever-increasing gender diversity. You know, I think a lot of people, myself included, got excited when that IRENA report came out showing that the the renewable sector was 33% female um, compared to 25% in the conventional energy sector. But I, I don't think gender diversity in the renewable sector is is preordained. I think there's still a lot of conscious choices that have to be made in order order for that to happen. Yes, absolutely. And I feel that the sector is so nascent, we still have so much work to do, but we we can build it up from scratch because we're starting afresh. Um, But while we're focusing and advocating for an energy transition, do you think that there's a significant role women can play in this mission? from an individual standpoint? Absolutely, of course. But I think the the, the just energy transition, in, in some respects, it's more complicated or more nuanced 
uh, than some people have made it out to be. For example, I've seen a lot of discussion recently about you know, how we're going to smoothly transition workers out of fossil energy industries, you know, compensate them appropriately, restore their livelihood through skills training and job placement. And all of those things are, I mean, that's absolutely terrific. But, but what about the women who were never part of the industry to begin with? Does a just transition ensure them a place in the energy supply future? And, and you know, too, like, what about energy consumers? Many analysts and policymakers are still failing to see cooking poverty, for example, as the environmental and public health crisis, you know, that it really is. So I think in terms of just energy transitions, we, we still need to spend a bit more time thinking about the balance of investment between transitioning on the one hand from a set of dirty fuels linked to electricity production and industry and transport, and on the other hand, a set of fuels that are used for cooking. And I pretty much guarantee you, whatever someone thinks is the right split between these two investment categories, um, what the world is investing in now uh, for the cooking transition is is much less than that. It's it's unreasonable, in my opinion. Yeah, and that makes a lot of sense because we do need to think about the past and the future when when we're thinking about transitions. And a lot of the past does not reflect what we want in the future, of course. Um, and you've been in the sector long enough to understand these dynamics. Uh, so what do you think that actors in the sector should make uh, should do to make this progress in addressing gender parity in the renewable energy sector? So this is going to sound like a complete dodge, but I think every approach has to be very much adapted to the particular geography, to the subsector, and even the individual entity that um, that we're talking about. Um, the, the gender experts, you know, so to say, have a huge suite of tools for, for mainstreaming, for women's empowerment, uh, to promote diversity and inclusion. Uh, the real struggle is about knowing which one to roll out first, um, which one is going to have the greatest bang for its buck, which one is not going to spur backlash, you know, in a particular context. And I think, you know, the more people who are sensitized to these issues and who spend time with these various tools, you know, throughout the world, the more champions and ambassadors we're going to have to start strategically rolling them out and, and making change one entity at a time. Um, but I have to say, a- anecdotally, there's there's no scientific evidence to support this. But anecdotally, I believe the attitude and the commitment of the organization's leader has quite a bit to do um, with what the organizational culture ends up looking like and what kind of momentum it can sustain towards gender parity. It's really, for me, a make or break factor, you know, how the leader feels about these things and how committed they are to, to seeing it through. And then again, I just add that gender parity um, in the sector, it's not solely about workforce and governance issues. You know, parity in the sector also means responding to consumers' needs. Uh, all consumers, female consumers, and male consumers, um, and women sometimes, I think the market overlooks them because of you know, biases, because of blind spots, because maybe they have lower purchasing power. Um, and I think the, the biggest ch- challenge for the, the, the renewable sector, you know, is, is making sure that the consumer needs, all of them get addressed. Yeah, that's very insightful, um, especially on the part of 
a leader-run organization and their vision would really determine um, how they're addressing gender challenges within the organization and also within the consumers. And like you said, prioritization is key when we're strategically rolling out these tools. Um, but I was just wondering, um, are there any specific industries you would point out that have like done this successfully or um, you know, any best practices that the renewable energy sector could learn from? Um, I think there, there are a lot, um, and I don't want to. I don't want to point out specific uh, companies for, for for various reasons, um, but a lot of them have been more forward thinking than others, and a lot of them, um, you know, diversity and and gender inclusion is a, a wide ranging topic, and I I hesitate to say that any company has gotten it 100% right in every respect. You know, usually what happens is a company will start sort of working on one corner of the problem and, and progress, you know, its way, its way from there. Um, so, and, and it's hard to generalize, I think, by, by sectors or by geography. Um, you know, I mean, it's possible there's a lot of, you know, say, for example, Nordic companies, uh, who have really implemented um, a lot of uh, gender diversity and, and inclusion issues, and but they have there's legislation um, and you know regulations in place in those companies um, in those countries uh, that you know assist them. It's just you know it's a different it's a different ball game, um, but a lot of it comes back to um, to individual organizational culture, in my opinion. Yeah, that makes sense. And of course, all these external factors really support organizations, companies and sectors, um, be it like policy or financing or just risk mitigation. Um, and that, that makes a lot of sense. And I'm sure that there are like so many victories that women in the sector have enjoyed despite the gender stereotypes that have stood in the way of women's progress. Um, do you have any personal experiences that you regard as a victory for women in the renewable energy world, uh, where patriarchy is dominant. Oh yes, I think I think there's tons. There's there's really numerous example examples and um, and several really great organizations that are devoted to elevating the profiles of women who have succeeded and and helping them network with each other and with um, with others. Uh, GWNet and Energia, for example, come to mind. Um, they've done great work showcasing a lot of these stories. The thing I'm curious about is is that where where women uh, succeed in energy, we don't always the public because it's not fit for public consumption. But you know, we often don't have an awareness of of what battle scars they sustained to get where they are. And and I'm not talking about run of the mill battle scars because any entrepreneur will recount difficult times that they endured or challenges that nearly broke them, but you know, where are the female engineers, the energy technicians, the energy business owners um, who don't have gender-specific battle scars? So obviously, I celebrate as, as much as anyone women's success in terms of overcoming obstacles, but, but when those obstacles are terrible things like blackmail and sexual assault coming from their professors and from their bosses or 
being excluded from the after work get togethers where real decisions get made and opportunities get passed around or dealing with constant harassment or intense family conflict over their career choices. When I hear these stories, I just get such a pit in my stomach and 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 it's hard to accept that this is still the cost. So so even as I celebrate these women who have done great things and defied stereotypes, I can't help but feel sad at what at what the success has entailed because it shouldn't it shouldn't be this hard, you know. When women can rise through the energy sector and have just a regular quote unquote normal hard time, then that's the point where I'm going to celebrate society, if you know what I mean. Yeah, of course, and I, I'm pretty sure that all of us have either witnessed this it, it firsthand or secondhand, um, you know, seeing women succeed at the cost of so many personal challenges that they definitely don't deserve or, you know, they see their colleagues not going through the similar things um, specifically based on gender. But how do you recommend we really build a strong community of women who can inspire each other? Any advice you have for young women who are trying to enter this space Um, How could they make a place for themselves within the renewable energy sector? I wish I had a great answer for that because it's not easy. Um, But my mind keeps going back uh, to this, this idea of, you know, networking and sharing experiences and stories because it seems like so many of the ills that, that women face stem from this phenomenon of isolation because when you're isolated you don't have good information about what um, salaries should be and you know when you're isolated you know that's when you're more vulnerable to to attack and when you're isolated you don't have strong professional relationships and mentoring relationships that you can use to help advance your career and do so in a way that's you know that's healthy. Um, So I think combating isolation, you know, spreading stories, sharing experiences, being very transparent about information and how things work. I think that's one of the the better tools that, that people have at their disposal. So that's what I would recommend. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And it just got me thinking that sometimes in isolation, we also don't know if this is the right thing to happen or not. And a lot of the times women just presume that they need to go, go through this to be successful or get to the other side of challenges um, and, and maybe okay with dealing with it just because they don't have anybody to talk to about it. Um, This, this month we're uh, celebrating international women's month and we often organize event driven, driven discussions like this one. Um, but why do you think that a gender perspective is relevant in our sector? Like, why do we even need to switch um, business as usual to incorporate more gender? Well, gender is relevant because of the talent equation, um, because of team productivity, because of risk management, uh, because of uh, it helps avoid common pitfalls in group decision making. I think these maybe are the most important things to highlight in discussions with energy stakeholders because um, it's what we refer to as the, quote, business case. Um, To that, I might also add that gender is relevant from a values perspective. And it's not that female values are inherently better than male ones. They're absolutely not. But energy companies, 
and also ministries and regulators and so forth, whether we like it or not, they play this outsized role as stewards of our shared environment. So, you know, at the least, their values should sort of be representative if, of humanities, if you know what I mean. And, and this is valid for many other groups as well, not just, uh, not just women. Yeah, and you use this really interesting term, energy stakeholders, and I think women are great stakeholders in the energy sector, not just on the workforce side, but also when it comes to consumption. Um, so how, how do you think that in terms of consumption, women and gender could really uh, you know, play a different role than how men consume energy or are the decision makers on the other side of the equation? Well, I mean, I think in many contexts in a lot of low-income countries, uh, the, the bulk of primary energy consumption is still coming in the form of uh, traditional biomass. And so this is, this is biomass for cooking, for space heating, for water heating. Um, and it's women who are primarily the, the users and managers uh, of, this, of this biomass. And you know, I think, I mean, a, a personal uh, passion of mine is, I just, I feel this urgency. We have to figure out how to solve this biomass problem. It's a gender problem. And I think for decades, 50, 60, 70 years or more, uh, we failed to solve the, uh, the cooking poverty issue. And, and we've actually thrown very, very little money at it, as I, as I mentioned earlier. And as technology progresses, as efficiency increases, you know, as we become better at doing what, you know, uh, inventive humans do, I think, I think we're approaching the point where um, electricity is going to become one of the solutions uh, for cooking poverty. And I would like to see it pushed with urgency. Um, and I would like to see uh, people stop making excuses for why it's too hard without actually digging in and coming back with the data and proving why, why it's too hard. I think it's easy to dismiss it as, you know, this is too expensive. You know, people can't maintain this technology. There are no markets. All, all the excuses that we used to hear, you know, back in the, 80s and 90s about why solar PV was not a good energy option. We're now hearing them about why electric cooking is not a good option. Um, but the, the gender implications of a cooking transition in terms of, you know, health, in terms of time, in terms of empowerment, um, division of labor, you know, um, sexual division of labor in, in the households and opportunities for working and wage employment outside the household. Um, I think it's I think it's the greatest energy issue of our time. Yeah, that's very true. Um, and we, we do need to see a lot of urgency that comes from the world leaders, from uh, the corporate sector, every sector to really push in the financing, because like you said, it's it's just an excuse. And, um, you know, even the the PV sector shows that maybe we're we just don't know how much, um, you know, we can kind of progress in the sector and make it worth the buck um, because the, the numbers have said it, that we do have such a big need of, for for having electricity, uh, you know, come to places where biomass still exists. 
Um, and even like within the corporate sector, there's so much male dominance in any sector, which likely stalls the elevation of women to the top positions. Um, so I wanted to ask your view, view on that, if anything, if distributed renewable energy companies do, uh, you know, attract, retain and promote uh, more women to senior management positions to respond to these much needed industry transformation and challenges. How do we make sure that we're able to bring them to the top? Oh my goodness, so many things can be done. Um, I think to start out, you know, even in a small company, which not all um, decentralized renewables companies are, but even having a clear set of corporate policies on the subject, I think is really important. And, you know, in investing and making a work environment that's a generally nice place. Um, guess what? Men appreciate it too, and you'll get higher productivity out of them and less turnover. And then there's sometimes uh, physical aspects of that, you know, uh, facilities, bathroom facilities, changing facilities, um, sometimes reevaluating the necessity of, you know, different kinds of travel and travel arrangements, providing flexible hours and daycare. You know, it all depends on the particulars of how that company operates and who it's trying to attract. Um, but then the other big thing is really investing in recruitment and outreach. Uh, if I hear one more manager whine and complain about how there, quote, are no women, uh, I think I think I might just lose it because <laughs> have you even looked? Like, have you worked your connections? Have you picked up the phone? Have you pounded the pavement? Have you gotten creative? Like, have you substituted aptitude-based hiring test for paper qualifications or offered training programs with incentives or hired people or promoted them, you know, across departments. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot that can be done. And then, and then here's the thing, there's a follow on effect to having women in leadership positions. And, and that is that they tend to pull more women up with them either passively just because they, they act as a role model or actively because they're filling a mentoring role, like a female mentoring role that didn't exist before, it wasn't available, or they're just basically non-discriminatory in their hiring and promotion practices. It's not, you know, it's not rocket scientists, just get started, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And especially it's so important to create a physical space and also, you know, a metaphorical space for women to enter the sector. And like you said, that male hiring managers would probably just be looking at the same spaces or, you know, are not trying to do anything different to find these women because like we know that they exist, we exist. <laughs> and um, there are a lot of people who are studying this, are passionate about it and definitely want to be on the table when these decisions are being made. Um, yeah, and that brings us to the end of the questions that I had for you. Thank you all for listening. Uh, a reminder that you can find a wealth of sector news, analysis, and data on our website, powerforall.org, and our platform for energy access knowledge, Peak. You can also sign up to receive our monthly, monthly newsletter. And if you'd like to support our work, you can make a donation via our homepage. Speak to you soon on the next episode of Power for All. Thank you so much.